Hello and welcome back to the Irish Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Sidekick and Phil Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. It's been an interesting few days for Irish football fans. We've had the first Irish player to appear for Liverpool, both in the Premier League and in the Champions League for more than 12 years. An Irish qualified player appearing in La Liga in Spain for the first time since 2008. And today we had the draw for the UEFA qualifiers for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Uh, so there's lots to talk about. Uh, lads, how are we doing? Yeah, all good. All good. How are you, lads? Let's start with the draw that took place today. Ireland have been drawn in Group A. They will place first seeds Portugal, second seeds Serbia, and Luxembourg and Azerbaijan. Mark, any team in the first seeds was a daunting prospect. Um, we don't have a good record against Portugal, but do you think we can get anything from Cristiano Ronaldo and his teammates? Yeah, it's an interesting matchup, uh, Joe. I mean, <laughs> we know we have to score a few goals first off, but again, considering the seeded pot one teams, I think, you know, it'll all depend on Portugal come the end of the European Championships as well next summer. I suspect that there might be one or two retirements from there. There might be a period of transition. I know Cristiano Ronaldo is probably chasing a few records, but then you have Bruno Fernandes, Diego Jota. So it, it's, a, it's a daunting task, uh, Joe, but again, from a public violence standpoint, We've typically risen to the occasion when we faced these teams, particularly at home. Look, it could have been far worse. I'm looking forward to actually seeing Portugal because they're a very talented football team. But again, I think we just have to focus on ourselves, really, and see if we can get a producer performance. Phil, if you look at Portugal's performance in the Nations League, they finished second behind France, but they scored 12 goals in the six games that they played and only conceded four. They lost to France in Lisbon and drew with them in Paris. They have a team of quality going all the way from from goalkeeper to up front, and we don't really have a a good record against them. In the 13 games, we've only beaten them four times and we've drawn twice. That's less than the, the seven losses that we have against them. As it stands, the fixtures haven't been decided yet. Realistically, we're looking at Portugal to run away with the group and then battle it out with Serbia for a second spot. You could even argue that we have a worse record against Serbia in the five games that we've played them. We haven't actually beaten them yet. We have drawn three of the games in Giovanni Trapattoni's first game in charge. We need a last-minute equaliser from Andy Kyo to salvage a one-all draw. Drew nil-nil with them in August uh, after Euro 2012. And then in the first qualifier for the World Cup in 2018, we drew 2-2 away from home. Uh, we lost the return game to a collar off long-range strike. Do you think we can get anything from them? I don't see why not. As far as a, a pot two teams go, they're not terrifying. If we can sort out a few issues, I don't think there's any reason why we couldn't be taking points off them. And I think the way the draw is done, it's a straightforward enough draw. I think we all agree that Portugal will run away with the group. And I think when you look down to the teams from the two pots below us, Azerbaijan and Luxembourg, really we shouldn't have any issues with them. Azerbaijan away is probably always a tricky game, but we still should be expected to beat them. So really the focus is on Serbia and trying to take points off them. A win against Serbia would go a long way to seeing us to second place. 
I know Serbia were in Portugal's group and Portugal bet them in the last qualifying. They have Mitrovic, they have Jovic, they have, you know, they have a few players we're familiar with in midfield, but they're not the kind of team that you'd be totally afraid of. We could have got worse than Patu, I think. So I, I would be optimistic enough that we could take points off them, but we, we do need to, to sort out a few issues. But in saying that again, like, these games aren't until March. That's a long time away. And there's a lot that can change. So who knows what kind of shape our squad will be in in March. Hopefully a lot of the pandemic will be behind us in terms of uh, like players missing and close contacts and all that. And we'll have a much stronger squad. And we might have, you know, we might have Troy Parrott or we might have Aaron Connolly scoring a few goals by then. So it's hard to know, but I don't think, I think we can take points off them. Yeah, I'd be optimistic. Looking at their Nations League campaign, you know, they only won one of their six games, uh, which is surprising because it was a 5-0 win against Russia at home in their final game of the tournament. They lost to group winners Hungary and drew with Turkey, who finished bottom of their group. They didn't manage uh, to win away from home at all. Two draws to Hungary and Turkey and a, a loss in Moscow, which is unsurprising because it's it's a very, very tough place to go and get a result. If you look at the other teams that were seeded second you know we could have been facing switzerland wales poland sweden austria ukraine teams that are ranked far ahead of serbia and i don't know if i'd fancy us to get a any kind of a result off them so it's not the it's definitely not the worst uh team we serbia could have are very are very middle of the road they're not ranked too far above the likes of slovakia who we were unlucky not to put to the sword in in the playoff so they're not much better than that and really that's not much better than us if we can sort our goal-scoring situation out. So it's not terrifying at all, really. Phil, the bottom two teams in the group are the relative minnows, Luxembourg and Azerbaijan. We haven't played Luxembourg uh, since the qualifying campaign for Euro 88. Uh, We've beaten them in all five games that we've played them. But they've had some positive results in, in recent times. They were in League C uh, in the most recent UEFA Nations League campaign. Uh, they won three of their games. Uh, strangely enough, two of them away from home to beat Montenegro. And they, they won in Azerbaijan, who are also in our group. Looking at their squad, you know, there's, uh, there's a few players playing in the Bundesliga with Mainz. Their captain is playing with Standard Liège in Belgium. But you would still think that... We have enough to to win uh, all four fixtures against Luxembourg and Azerbaijan. Yeah, I, I don't see why not. And and looking through that squad, there's not many players we'd be well. I'd be familiar with. Um, obviously, the few that play in the Bundesliga, you really expect us to get maximum points from all four games. And it looks like a young squad, and we have we've plenty of experience of anything. So really, the minimum aim in the group should be to take four wins against the bottom two teams. I think on the last podcast, we were kind of talking about what our expectations of of this draw would be, regardless of the teams that were in it. And I had said that it would be a tough ask for us to qualify for the World Cup and we shouldn't be expected to. And I think you made the point that we should definitely be finishing third. And I think, look, you're, you're correct. Looking at this group, third is the minimum and 12 points from those four games is the minimum. So, yeah, so I don't think we will have a problem with Luxembourg or Azerbaijan, to be honest with you. No, and 
if we finish second, we'll be looking at the second round. But that's a long time away now, and it brings in Nation League group winners into the, the playoff picture. That might be a bit too far away to discuss right now, even before the group fixtures have been decided. Book the hotel. Yeah, book, book the, the hotel. hotel yeah. Book the but hotel. I've always wanted to go to Baku. Mark, if we take that, we're going to get 12 points from the four games against Luxembourg and Azerbaijan. Um, are we looking at not losing against Serbia away from home and then beating them in Dublin? Is that are realistic, considering our recent struggles in front of goal? To a certain extent, Joe. Uh, I would also add in the mix Azerbaijan. I know we've kind of, you know, we should on paper be beating them, but looking at the recent form of Azerbaijan, last four games, they've kept clean sheets. So it's indicating to me there was a nil-all draw at Slovenia in Ljubljana, which I think is quite a standout result. So I think we have to respect, I think, Azerbaijan, particularly from a defensive organisation. But I suppose going back to your question, Joe, if we can get anything at all out of the Belgrade trip to Serbia, we've had history of going to Serbia and getting a result. I think that would be great because I just have this sense, you know, Serbia, particularly the Eastern European countries, those fixtures take a bit of a life of their own. We've seen it before in other kind of groups where particularly the likes of our lovely friends, Georgia, have taken points off other Eastern European sides. So, And they do lift their game, particularly Azerbaijan, particularly when Eastern European rivals come and Serbia be no different. So there may be a banana skin there, particularly in Baku. Did that Azerbaijani side as well has an awful lot of Garibag Champions League kind of proven players so a lot of realms of possibility that Azerbaijan away could be a bit of a banana skin particularly for ourselves maybe for uh, Serbia for that matter but yeah if we can get a result maybe Belgrade bring Serbia back and you just never know with the Serbia psyche as well uh, after the Euro Championship debacle I think it was a national disaster for Serbia with their Scottish penalty shootout loss the head coach I think is wavering a little bit there may be a little bit of indifferent results going here. So I'd be fully confident that we could take points off uh, Serbia. Then Portugal, you know, it's kind of bonus territory there if we can get anything out of them because Portugal's squad is immense. But particularly on the road, I think Portugal have been pretty strong compared to being at home, which has been unusual for Portugal in the last few years. Their home form has usually been terrific. But I think that the focus will be on Serbia. Hopefully get four points against Serbia and then that could set us up fairly well uh, for a playoff push. When you look at Portugal, obviously you think of Cristiano Ronaldo. He's turning 36 in February. He scored uh, 102 goals in his 170 caps. Um, and he's bearing down on the record that I think a lot of us thought would never be broken. This Ali Dai set for Iran when he scored 109 goals at international level. And not only that, he's got Ahmed Hassan's record of 184 caps for Egypt, well within uh, his reach and could possibly break both records at the European Championships next summer. You know, people have suggested that the, the move to Juventus um, means that he's very much in the, the autumn of his career, but he still scored 10 goals in his nine games for the old lady this season. And so he doesn't really show any signs of slowing down you know, we'll be doing well to keep him scoreless uh, across the two games. But I am looking forward to seeing him play. <clears throat> I was at the Friendly in 2005. And yeah, I hope that we can reproduce the result there. Our last game against him finished in a, a 5-1 thrashing. Hopefully we'll have a better performance than in that game. During the Nations League campaign, 
uh, a lot of it was made that Darren Randolph was not getting first team football for West Ham. We all discussed his move from Middlesbrough almost a year ago now, and we completely understood his reasons for doing so. But it means that our, our the three goalkeepers that we had in the squad, Keller, Travers and Randolph, were getting very little in the way of first team football. But, you know, a week is a long time in football. And now Keller has not only made his Champions League debut, but he's also uh, made his Premier League debut. He's the first Irish goalkeeper to keep a clean sheet in the Champions League. He's the first Irish player to appear for Liverpool since Robbie Keane. And if Alisson's injuries continue, we can expect to see him get a run for Jurgen Klopp's side. Mark, what's your impression been of Kelleher since he made the step up to senior football? Been quite impressive, Joel. Uh, really impressive, you know, to be thrown in at the deep end against Ajax in a Champions League qualifier. And given the result that happened the week before with Liverpool with their home loss at Atlanta, this wasn't a case of a fixture where Liverpool could really kind of um, take the foot off the gas. It was a must-win game for Liverpool. And for Klopp to have the confidence and faith in Creeping Kelleher speaks volumes. I think selection was massively justified. His last two games have been nothing short than exceptional. I mean, he's commanding the area, shot-stopping. But I think as well, and I think we're going about the Stephen Kenny era and looking for that evolution in our kind of passing from the back, Kelleher's distribution has been first-rate. So I think an awful lot of positives and he looks to be firmly cemented as the number two in Liverpool right now. Uh, the performance last night, I know we're recording this on Monday night, against Wolverhampton was brilliant as well. Very dangerous fixture, but he's backed that up. So look, nothing short of impressive from my standpoint. Phil, if he continues in this form, it'll be hard to argue against him starting for Ireland. But do you think his lack of international experience is going to count against him? I don't think it should, because if you're put in in the Champions League in a crucial group game against a team such as Ajax and you're given the nod, I think that tells you everything you need to know about his demeanour. And he obviously has a, a bit of an older head in the shoulders. So I don't think it should. I think, like, as Mark alluded to there, we have a team in transition. We're trying to play a different way. Randolph has been great, and I'm not writing Randolph off at all but he's in a bad situation in his club and looking at the difference between the two keepers like it, watching Kelleher the last night or the last the last two nights he's really commanding of his box like he's great with his feet we've seen that in the last two games I know he started outfield but he's really commanding of his box he has no problem coming off his line early coming out to meet a ball and he's no problem at all coming for a cross that he might necessarily not catch. You see with a lot of younger keepers, if there's a ball they think they're not going to get it, you, you'll see them not go for it. Whereas if Kelleher even thinks he's going to get fingertips on it, he seems to be out there. There was a lot of occasions in the Wolves game where he, he made some great, great flicks with his hand, you know, balls going over his head that you wouldn't see from other keepers his age. So I think like I, ideally he looks perfectly suited for what Kenny wants to do. And Randolph is a keeper who firmly stays on his line and isn't that good with his feet. Great shot stopper, but we saw it in the last game against, I don't know, was it Wales? You know, there was a couple of moments there in the box where he was doing a few turns and he nearly got caught. So I think the thing with Kelleher is I think he'll see a lot more game time at Liverpool because Liverpool have such a stacked fixture list this year that 
I don't think they're going to let him go out and loan in, in January. I think because of Allison's shoulder and how regularly, he's, regularly he seems to get injured, I think Kelleher will see a lot more game time. Obviously, Klopp doesn't trust Adrian anymore. And the perfect solution for Klopp would be to have a young backup keeper that he could play in cup games. And I think that's what Kelleher will see Kelleher in. And obviously, when Allison's injured. So, like you said it yourself, a week's a long time in football. I know we're going to do a pod maybe next week about the year in review. And one of the most disappointing things for me was the fact that we had these three young keepers, Travers, Bazuna and Kelleher, and only one of them was getting game time and Kelleher wasn't. And now all of a sudden, two clean sheets, two big games and two really impressive performances. And it puts them right up there. So it, it's a positive story for us this year. It's, it's great. Mark, what could even be a more positive story is the emergence of two Irish players uh, in the Liga. Well, one Irish player and one Irish qualified player. Ryan Nolan, formerly of Inter Milan, uh, signed for Getafe in the close season and was initially playing for their C team, but has been promoted to their first team squad in recent weeks. Uh, He hasn't made his senior debut for them yet, but uh, his Irish qualified teammate, John Joe Patrick Finn, formerly of the Real Madrid Academy, uh, made his first appearance for the Madrid club at the weekend. So you wait for an Irish player to appear in La Liga and two of them come along at once. Mark Finn is still only 17 years old and we don't know where his international allegiances lie. But if Nolan does make the breakthrough for Getafe, could he be added to the senior squad in the new year? He seems like an exciting prospect given his emergence into La Liga first team squad. So... Again, unknown quantity. I haven't honestly seen much of him, uh, Joe. To be perfectly fair, but again, I think as I think you guys have been talking about, he definitely needs to be someone on the radar. I mean, we're not blessed with players that are in a continental top league. So, um, no, it'll be interesting to see how his progression takes place this season. And if he's impressive for his club, then why not get called up? in a subsequent squad but I think really Stephen Kenny, Keith Andrews and uh, Damian Duff they really need to kind of be doing their homework on that player Yeah and you know, it remains to be seen what limitations are put on scouting due to to COVID I know we see Gareth Southgate at games in England and we've seen Stephen Kenny at League of Ireland matches here at home but hopefully in the new year we'll all be able to travel again and you know, we could see Stephen Kenny go to Spain to watch two Irish players in the same team in the Liga for the first time ever. Just on that, it's going to be interesting to see the approach of this management team compared to the last couple of management teams when it comes to capping players. Will Kenny like get the finger out a lot quicker than the last two management setups? You'd imagine he will. Like instead of wondering, will Finn be interested in he play for us? Will Kenny just go, do you want to play for us, yes or no, kind of thing. There's been so much of that the last few years where we've been waiting on lads and waiting on lads and waiting on lads where maybe they're just going to go, you're either playing for us or you're not. If you are, we're going to cap you for 10 minutes and that's it. Could be a total change on how they do things. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he does manage to recruit any players, any Irish qualified players from other international sides. Uh, But that's maybe something we can discuss next week. We've a shortened show this week. Um, we just 
decided to record a short episode to discuss the World Cup group. Uh, and, and it was a welcome distraction that Keller and Finn made their debuts. I'm looking forward to discussing Stephen Kenny's time in charge next week with Mark and with Phil. And we're probably going to skip the goal of his reign so far discussion. But we hope you'll join us then. Thank you.